terrific. And I appreciate, I know that that took, um, uh-oh, what did I do? Okay. I, I know that took planning and practice, but more than that, it just took hearts. Thank you. Amen. Worship team, it was terrific. Worship leader. Um, I'm, um, I'm going to start today by going completely off the plan. Probably going to spell trouble for us later. Um, and, I'll, and I'm going to be mindful of time, but a couple of things happened. One is um, last, last week we had snow, and uh, so we had um, quite a few fewer people. And we started a series, and the, the title of the series is, God, What Do You Want Me To Do?, and uh, we kind of laid the foundation last week. So I planned this week to just spend a little extra time reviewing and laying some groundwork. Um, so that's going to take a little bit of time. Second thing is that today, um, waiting for our turn at, in the line at Starbucks, um, um, Lisa, we, there was a bunch of cars lined up, and so I sat in the car, and she ran inside instead of going through the drive through which, oh, what an inconvenience it is that to get out of the car. <laughs> and um, I know the Lord started putting something on my heart that wasn't in my message outline. And we're going to address that now because I was preoccupied with it all during worship. And I, I know the Lord wants to spend a little time on something a little extra. So, um, and we're also going to have communion today. Lots going on. Um, and I, normally at this point, I've got the kids up here and a memory verse. And we're going to come to that. But I want them to hear the first couple of things we're going to talk about here. So Terry, wherever uh, Miss Terry, there she is in the back. Is, would you forgive me for delaying the release of the kids? And would you talk to the teachers and apologize and all that stuff? <laughs> Thank you. Um, good morning. Good morning, church. Um, it's nice to be able to drive to church and not have to look out for slipping, sliding, and snow and all of that. Um, the, 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 I mentioned before that the series that we're in is, God, what should I do? This is about digging out and hearing the Lord's will for our lives, not just this grandiose in 30 years from now kind of thing, but the decisions we're making today. Um, it's a very, very, very common thing for pastors to get these questions. Hey, I need to sit down and talk with you, pastor. I need you to help me figure out what God wants me to do, and you fill in the blanks. They're, they're, these, this question is very, very common. It might be the most common question. It's, if it's not, it's right up there. And um, here's what was on my heart in, in the line at Starbucks this morning. I was just kind of looking through my notes for the message, and you need to know that you know for a 30-minute message up here, we, I might have been kind of buried in a cave somewhere for 20 or 25 hours. No joke. And so I come, I come here very well prepared. I'm not, this is not about me, but I'm telling you, I want you to know, I don't ever come and, and wing it in church. I would never do that. I, I don't want to stand ever behind this pulpit or behind this word and come in flying in, you know, not prepared. So I studied it and prayed it through. And there was something that I started wrestling in my soul because the very question, God, what's your will for my life? I think there are times, and this is really transparent, I really don't want to hear the Lord's will for my life. <laughs> I mean, I have a very strong will all on my own. And um, come on, don't look at me like that because I know you do too. And um, so I wrestle, not just with sometimes yielding to God, but the fact that I don't yield quickly enough. Two different issues. You get that? Sometimes the fact that I don't yield quickly enough says something about Terry's flesh. It says something about my, my, um, my standing with the Lord, I suppose. That's my viewpoint, not his. And um, here's what the Lord really prevailed upon me. You really do want to hear my will. In spite of the fact that sometimes you're impetuous, sometimes you're a little selfish, your, your flesh is... You really do, down inside of you, Terry, you really do want to hear my voice. And I hadn't been struggling with it. I just knew I'm just kind of self-willed sometimes, right? <laughs> and I, I think the Lord wants to acknowledge for you, intellectually and spiritually, that you really do want to hear the Lord's will. Maybe sometimes you struggle with the perception that you just really are a little bit of a you know, free spirit with God. The truth is, you're here. You are here. You're in the Lord's house. There's lots of things you could be doing on a Sunday. I want to tell you that the Lord says to you, I don't, Terry doesn't say this to you, the Lord says to you, you really do want to hear my voice in your life. And that's a good thing. Um, 
I, as we start talking through, the, the, that's why when we get into the message a little bit and we start talking about basics today, fundamentals, in, by way of reviewing a little bit of last week, it's really important because the Lord wants to get down to fundamentals with us. Here's what was preoccupying my mind. This completely dis- seems completely disconnected, um, but we're going to do an impromptu Bible study on a, on a topic just because I really feel like the Lord wants us to. Um, and this is the issue of the unpardonable sin. Maybe you didn't know that Scripture talks about a sin for which you cannot and will not be forgiven. It's kind of scary to think that it exists. And that thinking is completely contrary to the idea that God will forgive anything you do. That's pretty true, except there is one exception. And the Lord, I think, wanted to address that. I don't know why. It may be because there's one person here today who's struggling with the issue of unpardonable sin. Or maybe no one here struggles with it, but somebody here deals regularly with someone who does. So there's two things I want to accomplish in the next five minutes. We're not going to take long on this. One is we're going to address the scriptural question, what about the unpardonable sin for you? The second question is we want, I want to equip you so that you can address it in the hearts of other people. It's really important that what, we ha- what, what happens here, what the Lord does for us in this room and on this campus doesn't stay contained on this piece of property. Amen. You have to be able to take this light with you. So I'm just going to take a minute. We're going to detract here. If you have your Bible, I- I'm sorry, if you have your Bible, it's Matthew. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 12. So flip there. First book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the very first one, Matthew chapter 12. Because this wasn't part of my message, I don't have this prepared to come up in slide fashion, so if you don't have your Bible, you'll just have to follow along. But that'll work okay, okay? So I'm going to read the scripture that references this topic and talk about it briefly. And then, um, and then we'll move on, okay? Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 31. Two verses. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven men, forgiven them. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, that's Jesus, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. Okay, that seems fairly straightforward, but you've got to know what this terminology means to understand that scripture. You've got to know a little bit about the differences here. To demonstrate this, understand that at the last possible moment, a thief on the cross who was a really bad dude turned to Jesus and said, hey, remember me when you get to your kingdom. And he was forgiven and saved. There was nothing that man had done. The people who crucified Jesus on the cross were forgiven. Jesus said, God, forgive them for they know not what they do. This isn't an issue of the things that you do in life that you get to a certain point where it tips over and no longer are you capable of being forgiven. That's not what this scripture is talking about. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a completely different thing. Now, that's not insulting the Holy Spirit. That's not saying, you know, your mother wears combat boots or something like that. I don't mean to make light of it, but this is not an insult that's just meant to be trash-talking the Holy Spirit. The, the role of the Holy Spirit is very specific. Here's what was the context of this scripture. Jesus was dealing with this repeated, continuous assault by the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were assaulting him and his role and his call and his majesty and why he came. The role of the Holy Spirit is very specific. You always see the Holy Spirit all through Scripture doing this. There he is. There is the Son of God. There is the Savior. That is always the role of the Holy Spirit. It always points the way to Jesus. Always he points the way to salvation. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a rejection of the ministry and the call of the Holy Spirit. You can't commit the unpardonable sin unless you reject the role and the call of the Holy Spirit. Simple enough. It sounds really scary. Simply this. To commit the unpardonable sin, you have to refuse the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You have to say, I reject your pointing. I reject where you point. I reject Jesus. That's the unpardonable sin. That's the unpardonable sin. Now, I know there are people who feel they are so bad that they'll never be accepted into heaven, and their badness is no worse than yours and mine. 
It's, that's not what keeps people out of heaven. It's their rejection of Jesus. Flip over, uh, one more thing we'll do here. Let's flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. There's an interesting um, contrast, and then we're about done on this little excursion. Thanks for indulging me in this. I think this is the Holy Spirit wants to, to do this. First 1 Timothy um, chapter 1 verse 12. This is Paul talking. You know who Paul is. He's this... Um, he wrote most of the, the New Testament. And, um, well, he was the human vessel. We believe the Holy Spirit wrote the New Testament. Um, but starting in, in, in verse 12 is where I want to go. But here's his background. He was among the, the most dedicated people who persecuted and, ki- and, uh, persecuted and killed Christians in the early church. He was one of the ones leading the band to go out there and find them and kill them and to, to, to try to snuff out the church, okay? The Lord caught him on the road to Damascus one day, blinds him, knocks him off his donkey, and says to him, why are you persecuting me? And at that point, he's called Saul. He doesn't know, okay, who are you, Lord? I don't know who I'm persecuting. And he says, I'm Jesus. You need to knock it off. Not only do I want you to stop this, but I'm going to use you. Okay, that's enough background. That's the guy who's writing these words, starting in verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, blasphemer against Jesus, a persecutor and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did so ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and with love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, um, I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible to God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Here's an example of a man who's done way worse than everybody everyone else, one of us, unless you've been killing a lot of Christians and blaspheming God and dedicating your life to that. Here's the point, the reason I wanted to bring you this, to this passage in 1 Timothy. For people who feel that they are too bad and evil to be forgiven. I hope you have settled that right now. Now, I realize that I used a lot of big words for children. But the reason I wanted them to stay in this room is because I believe the word of God never returns void. And even Lindsay in the back row, who had a birthday yesterday, happy sixth birthday, Lindsay. Whitney, sorry, Whitney, sorry. Thanks, honey. She woke right up. Happy birthday, hon. <laughs> um, every one of them, these words, I believe they get into their soul. And they may not understand them today at six. But at 16, who knows? There could be a moment where she has questions in her soul and she'll remember, wait a second, there was something. I know there's a truth here somewhere. That's why the kids stayed in here. So um, I, I'm going to translate right now. Did that go on the recording? Perfect. Can you pause right now while we... Oh, you can leave it running. Just leave it running. Um, um, kids, who's got a memory verse for me? me. Okay. <laughs> come on, Gabe. <laughs> okay, come on. Come on up here. Bashful, this young one is not. Check, check. Okay. Wait a second. Turn around and jump on those shoes. Let's see them flash. See that? Wow. Oh, cool. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Okay, tell us your name. Gabriel. Gabriel. Gabriel was one of the angels, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he always brought good news, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, okay, let's hear your verse. I can do all things through grace. I can do all things through grace? Through through Christ. (laughs) Well, Well done, way to go, way to go. Okay. Okay, kids, you can go. We love our kids. Time to go, kids. You can go to class now. Love you all. I got a feeling he's getting on a first-name basis down there at Dairy Queen with the uh, staff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'd say, too, um, there were some young people up front today. Wait till they're all out of here. 
I was proud and inspired because I saw some kids in the front row who were without their parents. Their parents were elsewhere, and um, they were worshiping. And it was the kind of worship that they were just choosing. They weren't, it wasn't a sing-along. I was really um, blessed by that, what I saw going on in the front row today. Anyway, thought you should know in case you're in the back row and you can't see sometimes what's going on up front. Okay, today's, today's proverb, the 23rd, let's see, Proverbs 6, 23. Today's the sixth. Proverbs 23. Okay, start over. <laughs> Proverbs 6, 23. For these commands are a lamp, this teaching is a light, and the corrections of discipline are the way to life, from the NIV. So um, we started a series last week, um, God, what should I do? And, um, you know, I, I have to say it was a, we had a technical mistake, uh, my fault, and so it didn't get recorded, and I'm sorry if you've missed it. So I'm going to take just a couple extra minutes here and, um, and, and review the basics of last week and then launch into what I want to do today. Um, we talked about um, the fundamentals last week in, in, in hearing God's will for your life. We looked at Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. You've been raised to life with Christ, so set your hearts on the things that are in heaven. Some translations say look up. Set your heart, look up. Where Christ sits on the throne at the right side of God, that's always the place of power, the right side. Keep your minds fixed on things here, not on things of the earth. In other words, keep your focus on that. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. You, the you have died, God considers that if you're saved, you're already dead. You have already, the old man has already died. He considers that you have already died. And um, your real life is Christ, and when he appears, then you too will appear with him and share his glory. The point here is that Jesus is our life. This is not a figurative, this is not, this is not, um, um, this is not in the by and by. The Lord sees right now, he sees that Christ is your life. You know, we have our life, we, we build our family and our careers and all the things that, we're, that are going on that we care about. Those things are going, and sometimes we pray, well, Lord... Um, I've got this stuff going on, and if it's within your will, would you do, and you fill in the blank, and, and that's okay. God will hear that question, those prayers, and he'll answer that, and you know, he, he understands that's where a lot of us live, because that's where our faith presently is, but that's, his plans are way, way, way beyond that. He doesn't want us to stay there, so he, uh, he wants to lead us to the place where, where, where we make this translation, where he stops being a component of our life, and it translates to becoming our life. Sounds simple, not so simple, but when you get this right, when you start, your focus is not on the future. Your focus is on a person, on Jesus Christ. And when you focus on Jesus, then he leads you to the future. It's kind of different than how we want to approach that. So, so that's a quick overview of what we talked about last week, and I'm sorry to move fast, but you know we got extra things to do here today, so I want to keep moving. You know, um, Lisa and I, three kids... And um, I've told you before, we, we um, made a purpose of, of praying for our kids as they would go to school every day, even when, they were, when school meant they lived away and they were going to college. We prayed for them every day. And among the things that came out, you know, you get, you get, wrote, you get routine, some things that you want to make sure you pray every day. And one of them was that um, we prayed that they would be influencers of people around them rather than being influenced by the world. We prayed... Um, a lot of things, their protection and so forth. But we also prayed that they would know the Lord's will for their life. Knowing the Lord's will for their life. That can kind of be a scary, awkward prayer. You know, some people who found out the Lord's will found out in some pretty wild ways. You know, Moses. Moses got a burning bush, a bush that burned but didn't get consumed. You know, I didn't get that. That's pretty wild. You know, that's fine. Paul, I mentioned him before. He got a blinding light to find the Lord's will for his life. He got blinded. I'm not sure I want to hear it that way either. Um, pretty, pretty amazing. Jonah. Jonah, another guy who the Lord had a specific call and will in his life, and he got to go for a boat ride, I guess. <laughs> you know, I mean, inside the belly of a whale. That had to be. That's, that'll be fun to do. We'll do a message on that sometime to explore that. You know, I mean, that had to stink and all that kind of stuff. You know, the Lord did what Jonah needed to do. He bec- that, that, that was a wonderful thing. I, I, I don't know how long it took Jonah to get that God was doing something supernatural with him. I don't think it took three days. He was in there, right? I, I, don't think, 
I don't think that the reason was that his willpower required three days of softening. I think it's because, and you'll hear Jesus make references in the New Testament, the Pharisees are saying to him, hey, show us, some, show us a sign that you're really the son of God. Demonstrate it for us. I want to see some, some fireworks. And he said to him, oh, no sign's going to be given to this generation except the sign of Noah, or excuse me, Jonah. No sign. Same thing. You know, he, he's talking about the fact that his sign would be he would die, be in the grave for three days, and then rise. Same, so I think that's why Jonah had to be in that, the belly of that way for three whole days. I mean, wouldn't you be pretty well ready to come out after the first 15 or 20 minutes? You know, I mean, you know, you see cartoons and they're so cute. He's, in, he's, he's swallowed up inside this whale and, you know, here's Jonah and he's got this space and he can build a little campfire and walk around. I mean, it was not like that. There was this goo, icky, just slime and, you know, fish were going by and heading down to get digested and just never, no, it's disgusting. That can be freaky. Some of the ways people hear the Lord's will. I think the way I hear the Lord's will is probably completely different than the way you hear the Lord's will. For me, you know, I'm, I try to have my ducks lined up and I got a plan and I got a process and I rely on my process and my plan. And I know for me that when I'm standing here and it's worship time, I want to just abandon everything else. I don't want to be thinking about the message. I don't want to be thinking about the football game. I don't want to be thinking about the Daytona 500. I don't want to think of that, about that stuff. And when I'm preoccupied with something like the unpardonable sin, I got, the Lord's got my attention. Lord, you, you, you want us to spend a few minutes on that. We're going to do that. Okay, I'll do that. I mean, I really know that the Lord prevailed upon my heart. There are ways that are different for me than they are for you. It's a skill set, I suppose, of sensitivity to discern the Lord speaking to you. It's a willingness sometimes to hear and respond. Anyway, God, what do you want me to do is a very, very powerful prayer. It's really a powerful prayer. It can kind of be a freaky thing, but if you ask it, he will show you. He will answer it. It's amazing that he wants us to ask the question and amazing that he wants to hang out with you and me and tell us he'll do that. You know, your life today is the sum total of all of the decisions you have made plus all of the decisions that other people have made about you, right? You add all that stuff and that's where you are today. Especially, in, in, including the fact that the decisions that other people made, you decided what you were gonna do with them. There's always a choice, to go with it or not go with it. It's the sum total of all those things. Maybe sometimes you didn't pray the prayer because you really didn't want to know. Maybe sometimes you'd like to say, hey, God, can I have a do-over? I'd like to go back and undecide some of the things. I mean, I, I have some points in my life where I know that I would make a different decision. I don't discount the good things that happened in my life because of the heartache that went on. There was a point in our life where, um, where we realized that if we wanted to, somebody would loan us money. <laughs> and I can't think of a better reason to get somebody to loan me money than a red Corvette convertible. Can you think of something better than that? <laughs> so obviously that was the will of the Lord. You know, I'm a car guy, and um, I've settled down a lot. If you knew me before, you'd know, but I've really settled down a lot with cars. <laughs> but, but there was a time when cars... You know, Jesus is our life. No, cars was my life. Way, it, was, it was really, really messed up. And we had close friends, and he had just bought a Corvette. And we hung out a lot with them. And, and the point was, you know, we can have one too if we want to. We can hang out together in two Corvettes. How much more fun would that be? So, of course, I went to my local credit union, and they said, sure. So we went right up to a place in North Seattle called, it's called Chevrolet. You have to go back a ways, but this was a place just north of Green Lake on Aurora Avenue, and it had, I'm not kidding you, at any moment, he probably had 40 or 50 used Corvettes to look at. Now, this was back in um, the middle 1970s, so the Corvettes that were sitting on the lot were special Corvettes. I mean, not that today's Corvettes are, but I don't want, I'm not a Corvette snob, okay? But the, there were a lot of really nice Corvettes. So we picked one out, cracked the deal, bought the thing, got the loan. I remember the day... We got off work, headed north, two of us, to pick up this car and um, bought the car. I was sick to my stomach. 
drove off the lot, made the trip out to I-5, headed southbound. I'm driving in my red <laughs> Corvette convertible home to Olympia. Lisa's driving in something else. I don't remember what you, you got stuck with, whatever else was. I was sick to my stomach all the way home. Do you say me too? You know, and the reason I was sick to my stomach wasn't because I had picked the wrong Corvette. It was because I knew the Lord had told me no. I knew the Lord had told me no. And my decision to pursue my flesh there, it branched off into areas of my life that I'm not proud of. It put me on a trail, and it took me a long time to get back to where I was before I asked the question, can I have a Corvette? It took me a number of years. And the heartache of my mistakes, the cost to me as a man, the cost to me as a husband, the cost to me in, as a son, are um, embarrassing to talk about. But they're priceless to me. But that would be one of the decisions if I could go back and undecide, God, what do you want me to do? I'd go back there in a heartbeat. Having have, having have owned a Corvette, it's not worth the will of God. It's not worth it. Anyway, so as you go forward and you uh, make your decisions, asking the Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm going to suggest you keep praying the prayer because he'll answer your questions. You know, he's even granted it to us that when we ask the question that we get to call him Heavenly Father. It's not your honor or Mr. President it's more along the categories of, hey, Daddy. It's an intimate place that he gives us. So I want to talk about um, God's will today. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you that this is arbitrary um, when I do this. There are lots of scriptures in here that talk about God's will. Um, I mentioned a little bit of it last week. If you have a computer program, you can put in the phrase God's will or, you know, uh, there's lots of ways of doing it. And you'll come up with oodles and oodles of verses. If you do that and you look at them kind of analytically, you can arbitrarily divide those verses into three different categories. And I've done that, and uh, we're going to talk about those three categories a little bit today. They're, um, th- the first category we're going to call God's sovereign will. Most of us, this is the category about which you and I are the most ignorant, and yet we're the most expert in exercising sovereign will for our own lives. We're most ignorant about what God's sovereign will is t- doing but we're most expert in doing it ourselves, being sovereign and doing it. Okay, the second category, and I'm going to explore these a little bit more. The second is his moral will. This is the category that's most threatening to you and me. So I don't know if I really want to hear these things because <laughs> um, it exposes some things about me. And then the third category is the one that we want to most know about, and that's called the, the, the personal will of God. So when you see scriptures talking about will, the will of God, you'll find it kind of falling into, you can lump it into these three categories, his sovereign will, his moral will, and his personal will. The clearer that you are on number one and number two, the easier it will be for you to discern number three. So let's take a couple minutes to talk about the sovereign will of God. This is, this is what he will do, regardless of how you feel. And I, there are several examples of it in scripture. He's just going to do it, because he's God. It's kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm the God of my TV controller, and, you know, I try to be sensitive to the people around me, but there are times that I'm just going to change the channel because I got the controller, right? God can do the things he wants to do um, because he's God. Here's some examples. He um, decided to call Abraham and make from him a nation. He could have picked lots of people. He could have picked you. He could have picked me. He didn't. He picked Abraham. There's not a whole lot that you and I can do about that. It was a sovereign choice, God's will. Here's another one. He decided to make that nation called Israel an example to the people of the earth about his nature and the way he lives and the way he works. It was a sovereign decision. He chose the nation. Wouldn't it have been nice if he had chosen the United States of America? I don't know. I don't know. Point is, it doesn't matter what I would prefer or what I would wish. It's sovereign. God chose. Um, Here's another one. He decided that through the nation of Israel, he would send his son, the Messiah, the Savior, a plan to save all of mankind. A sovereign choice. I'm pretty happy about that one. But nevertheless, I can't change it. It's the the Lord. It's, It's the way God decided 
These, these people have become so messed up. They have so convoluted the, the, my plan for them. There is no way for them to retrieve themselves now. So I'm going to come up with a plan. The plan's going to be my son. His name is Jesus Christ. That will be the way. It's a sovereign choice. The fact that there is a way to heaven is sovereign, and there's not a whole lot you and I can do about it, no matter how much we will it, no matter what kind of bumper stickers we put on our car, right? We talked about bumper stickers, okay. If you weren't here, that was... Anyway, okay, here's another thing. God decided that, that, that Jesus Christ was going to create something called the church. And, the, and this was another sovereign choice. He said, okay, I'm going to create the church, and the gates of hell will never stand against it. They'll never prevail against it. You'll see that in, in uh, Matthew 16. Or he says this. He says, I want you to go into all the nations and tell the good news of the gospel. You'll see that in Matthew 28. Not a thing you can do about it. That was the Lord's plan. Those are sovereign choices. There's lots of them in the word of God. These are just something that God decided to do. And there have been times where people have thought, okay, I think I can overwhelm. I can stand against the sovereign will of God. I've got a plan. We'll do it a different way instead. It's kind of like, I was thinking about this this morning. It's kind of like the difference between deciding to surf on a wave or to stand on the beach and push a tsunami backwards. You can get with the direction of the wave and enjoy the ride and go somewhere fun and exciting. and help. Or you can stand on the beach and try and push a tsunami backwards. That's kind of like the contrast, only it's bigger contrast than that. People, here's, here's some examples of people who've decided to resist the sovereign will of God, Pharaoh. He's got all these people. God says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, nope, I'm going to do my own thing. God kind of starts making a demonstration. By the time things are over with, not only does he let the people go, but he says, go, take all this gold with you, bless you, go off and do your thing. Okay, so there's someone who tried to resist the sovereign will of God. King Saul is another example. He decided that he wanted his son Jonathan to, to succeed him as king. And God said, nope, I've already made a decision about that. The, the, uh, the kingdom is going to move over to David. And in fact, I'm going to do something pretty special. Through David, there's going to be a Messiah. And uh, you know what happened there. That didn't work out so good for King Saul. Another one we mentioned was Paul. Decided to persecute Christians, stand against the church, stand, stand against the sovereign will of God. Paul decides to do that. Didn't work out too well for him. He was blinded for a while. And then it worked out really well because he decided to join the team. And things completely changed. How about some secular examples? Um, Nero. Roman Emperor Nero, you know, you, you probably remember a little bit about Nero from your high school history classes. He decided that he could blame the burning of Rome. Let me just blame the Christians for that. The problem is that the more he squeezed the church, the more they spread and expanded. It just didn't work. He couldn't. In, in more recent times, you have Stalin, the Soviet Union, it became very atheistic. And they squeeze, 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 squeeze until finally the wall collapsed, you know, right? Talking politics, you know. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall, okay? Remember that? Okay, so it deal. And then when the, when the wall came down, churches rushed into the Soviet Union, former Soviet Union. They're all over. They're growing in that area. You know, there have been times that God has said, I'm going to anoint a certain group of people to do a certain thing over and over and over again. And when you see people decide to mess with them, God says, hey, I got a plan here. If you mess with my people, you mess with me. It's not a good thing. It's not a good thing to decide to stand against or to be on the wrong side of the sovereign will of God. The, 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 the exciting thing about this is that you and I, have been invited by God to participate in his sovereign will. Every single one of you. you know, I, I, I'll give you an example of that. You know, your participation, the, the local church, is the sovereign will of God. He's called the local church to be the place where people hear the word and they go and they extend it. So every time you attend, every time you serve, every time you give of your resources, every time you invite someone, every time you do those things, you are participating in the sovereign will of God. You realize that. Every time you do that, you're participating in the sovereign plan of God. It's God's will that in this generation, that the whole world would hear the good news. The whole world would hear the name of Jesus. That it's, his, it's his will that in this generation that the church would multiply and multiply and multiply. Not so that we can have the biggest church on the block, 
but because the days are counting down. The opportunity is evading us. The Lord wants to multiply because the the Lord's will is that no one would perish, but that all would come to life through Jesus Christ. Simply by participating in the local church, you are leaning with your energy and your time and your resources into the sovereign thing that the Lord is trying to accomplish in the world. And I want you to know that the things that are happening today that are sovereign are every bit as significant as the things that happened when Pharaoh released the people. The things that you participate in that are sovereign are every bit as big a deal. Every bit as miraculous, every bit as powerful, every bit as ordained and called to by the Lord. And I know that you're busy. And this is not, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not thumping the church. I love you. I, I, I know you're busy and I know your schedules are going crazy and so are ours. It just happens. It's just a fact of life. It's part of what we do. But quite possibly, the things we do in the church may be the most significant and meaningful things that we do in our lifetime because what we do is pass on something to the ones who follow us. I, it is so critical that our children are grounded in the Lord's sovereign will. Learning that there is a will that supersedes our sovereign will is so important to the shaping and the tenderizing of our heart. You know, that Corvette thing for me was what put my heart on the block. You know, it's, it's this loving pestle and mortar. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Where you take this thing and you just gently crush it into a nice fine powder because it takes a nice fine powder to make the best angel food cake, right? Right? (laughs) And we like angel food cake. You've been participating. Invited to participate. Okay, so uh, that's the sovereign will of God. The second category is the moral will of God. Now, this is easiest for us to identify in the word of God. It's all of the lists. Do this, don't do that. I don't need to spend a lot of time on that, but I'll give you a couple examples. I mentioned some of these last week. Um, 2 Corinthians 8, they gave themselves first to the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4, avoid sexual immorality, be refreshed, give thanks in all circumstances, continue to do good. You know, there's... Way, 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 a lot of explanations of the Lord's moral will. We tend to dodge them a little bit because, you know, we can meet a lot of them. I mean, I haven't murdered anybody yet that I know of, right? But um, it's easy for me to identify the ones that I know I'm doing okay on. The ones that I don't do so well on, I really would rather we talked about grace and mercy instead of the moral will of God. The thing is, though, that when we get the moral will of God right, our life gets better. When I learned to love my wife, excuse me, forgive me, sounds like I've already accomplished that. As I learned the concepts and began to apply the concept of learning my wife the way Christ loved the church, which is huge, and gave himself up for her, presenting her as spotless and blameless before the throne of God, As I'm learning to do that and to love my wife that way, my marriage gets better. The moral will of God isn't here to keep us all shiny and clean, wearing our little Christian outer uniforms to look good to God. It's because our life actually gets better when we choose to do the things in his moral will. That's where life change happens. That's where shaping occurs. That's where when we say, I want to please you, God, in spite of what culture does, good things can happen. Okay, moral will of God. The last one, which is the personal will of God, is the one where we really want to hang out and where we're really going to really dive in more next week. And I'll tell you right now, we're going to get real specific next week with some specific tools about finding the Lord's personal will for your life. Psalm 139 says that the Lord knew you while he knitted you together in your mother's womb. Knitted is a good translation or built. There's, it's a good translation for what was actually occurring there. Knitting one and purling two, you know, okay? As he knitted you together and wove you inside of your mother's womb, I really believe that can mean that he decided, I'm going to put a certain amount of piano aptitude. I'm going to put a certain amount of sports aptitude, and that didn't land on me. I'm going to put a little bit of, you know, attraction to Corvettes that you'll have to overcome with. He put that in me. You know, the Lord knitted us together 
He knitted us together, and um, we're going to talk about that a lot in detail next week. But the personal will of God. First off, I want to say is that it's the, the, the answer to the personal will of God is always found within the context of the first two. It's always found within the context of his sovereign will and his moral will. You will never find his will taking you outside of those two items, ever. The minute you start thinking that, you're, that the Lord's plan for you is to divorce your spouse and your children because this spouse potentially maybe would make you happier, you know that you are not in the Lord's will. Because it violates other parts of his will. And there is no part of the Lord's will that is in conflict with other parts of his will. Okay, second thing is that the clearer that you are on his sovereign will and his moral will, the easier it will be for you to discern the personal will. It's imperative that, that, that we're taught these things it, it, because the Lord is going to do what he's going to do. His, his sovereign will, he will execute. He will execute his sovereign will. And, you know, the more familiar you are with this and what's going on in his world, the whys and how he does these things, how much easier it's going to be for you to discern personally where you should live, who you should marry, what you should drive, how much money you should give, where you should give it, where you should serve, all of those questions, you know, what your major should be in school, all of those questions, way easier to discern if you beforehand know what his sovereign will, what he's up to in the world, and what his moral will is. That, that, that eliminates so much territory that you don't need to waste time on. So much easier. All those things cleared up. You know, I run into this, and you probably have too, where people say, you know, I'm trying to figure out something. I've got this dilemma in my life. And, and they go into what they're doing, and I'm thinking, well, you know, <laughs> my snide, um, my sarcastic sense wants to rise up, you know, but my more mature, you know, there's, there's a snide, sarcastic Terry, and then there's the more mature. They, they, they wrestle a lot, <laughs> more than you know. And I, I just want to say sometimes to people, you know, that's already been covered. God's already written down the answer to that exact question. And I wish sometimes that I had the, the, the command of intellect to say, oh, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 14, which I don't know what that is. Don't look it up. I just made that number. But I wish I had that force of intellect that I could always put my finger on the exact scripture. But I know it's in there. And I might have to dig a little bit. I might have to use a concordance. I might have to Google something to make sure I'm on the right scripture. All of those are tools. Don't be ashamed that you use them. I do every week when I study. I use Google more than I, you know, I use Google a lot. I think, okay, wait a second. That's not right. There's a scripture. I can't remember the address. Google Bank, there it is. It helps me. saves me time. I'm thankful for the internet. The point is that it's already written down. We don't really have to pray about the Lord's will for you here. In fact, you shouldn't pray about it. He's already told you. It's almost an insult to pray and say, hey, God, have you changed your mind about anything? Have you changed your mind? Do I really need to love my wife? You know, he's not going to have changed... Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, he has not changed his mind. There's a huge rabbit trail beckoning me down right now. Um, Okay, I'm going to take three steps, one step into it and come back out. One of the major differences between Christianity and the Islam faith, Islam teaches that the will of Allah changes. So something that was his will today, he can change his mind tomorrow. Something that was evil today could be good tomorrow, good, good tomorrow. I mean, okay. Stepping back out of the rabbit trail, okay? Sorry. <laughs> Jesus, God has not changed his mind. He has not changed his mind. And so you run into this. I know you do. Somebody's talking about the will and you think, you know what? It's already written down. Let's look at it together. The thing is that when you are, you know, when you are dealing with people who really don't know the word of God, I mean, we are in a society that's becoming increasingly biblically illiterate. They know less and less about the word of God. And as, if that's true of the world, it's true here too. It comes in here. And I hope it does. I'm not saying I hope that you become increasingly illiterate. I'm saying that I hope that the, the biblical literacy, there's always a force pushing it down in the church because the unsaved would be coming into the house of, the, of God but there should be a presence of the word of God among 
not just the preacher, but all of the people here that push up on biblical literacy. In fact, we need to push literacy in the church up, and then as we get into the world, it needs to be going up out there too. It's just an overwhelming deal. But God will, God will help you with that. The Holy Spirit will help you with that. There will be times that as you embed the word in your heart, Scripture says, Thy word, O Lord, have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against thee. When you memorize Scripture, there will be moments at your office where something's going on and you'll know a Scripture that really feeds that situation light and life. And you'll think, well, if I quote a Scripture, this person will completely reject it. So what you do is you paraphrase truth and you quote Scripture to them and you don't have to quote it word for word and give the address, but you just tell them what the Scripture is. You don't even have to say it with Scripture. You let the Holy Spirit go to work because the Word of God will never return void. That's, that's why um, knowing the Word and knowing the will, that's why when somebody says, well, should I really do this? You think, oh, okay, I, 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 I don't need to pray with you about that. The Lord's already written that down. And as we know more of the Word of God and as we understand more about His sovereign will and His moral will, the, the questions about our personal will become way, way easier. Now, um, because of our time today, I want to move along and um, move into communion. And we're going to go into the personal will question in greater depth in the next few weeks, especially starting next week. So I'll tell you that. We're going to get some specific tools to talk about that. It'll be kind of fun. Um, I, do, I do want to address probably the most important question about the Lord's will at a personal level. I think, you know, um, there was... Um, there were a couple of a couple of books in here that Paul didn't write. One of them is Peter, the books of Peter. And I want to read a scripture to you out of Second Peter verses three or chapter three verses three through nine. Let's just read this. First of all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, "Where is the coming he promised?" Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of the creation. They understood that in the past that time progressed in a linear way. Things just happened how they happened. So they're challenging the teaching here that says there will come a day when Jesus will return and everything that's going on is going to stop and change. They, they questioned that that would really happen. Verse 5, But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. There was a point where time did not exist, so they forget that. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Talking of Noah. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Lord purged one time by water, the next time will be by fire. Verse 8, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The most important place for people to get the Lord's personal will for their lives has to do with salvation. And the Lord is not slow. He's just patient. He's just patient. We're going to receive communion. And I, I would say this to you. Communion is um, one of the ordinances. It's a religious function the church does. It's not magical and mystical. Jesus told us to do this. He, there were three, three ordinances. I've mentioned this before. Communion is one. Baptism in water is one. And marriage. Those are the three ordinances that the Lord said, here's what you do. So we're going to do one of them. And it's more than a religious act. This is us, as we receive communion, saying, I identify with the coming of Jesus, with the death of, resur- death of Jesus and his resurrection and all that are part and parcel to that healings, salvation, relationship with God. That's what this is about. If you've never done that before and the Lord's being patient with you, I encourage you, open your heart to the Lord and receive communion. Could, would you go ahead and come and um, let's pass out the elements. And um, I'm going to say this because I don't want to stand to keep, keep you too long. Um, Go ahead and pass out both the elements as you come. But hold on to them, church, and we'll pray over them and, and receive them as a group. Um, 
If you can't put your finger on the moment that you know you got saved, go ahead and pass them out. Go ahead. If you can't put your finger on that moment, put your finger on this moment right now and open your heart to the Lord. You do that just by simply acknowledging in your soul your need of God for salvation. You acknowledge the need and then you open your heart to him. You say, yes, Lord, you're my king. Tell somebody. You don't have to do it right now. Sometime today, tell somebody. So, communion. I, I love the translation that says that when Jesus broke bread with the disciples, he, he was fervent about it. He was so excited to do this with them. He was so excited about the accomplishment of what was going on in the kingdom. You know what? I think I'm going to need some elements too. Thanks, Brad. Oops. He was so excited. It's amazing. He knew what he was facing, the physical torment that he was facing. But he also knew what was being accomplished. And he knew what was happening, that his price that was being paid was worth it. You were worth it. You were worth it. Today, um, if you need healing, there is physical healing at the cross. If you need salvation, salvation can be found at the cross. Relationship can be found at the cross. Hope can be found there. Peace, joy, all of the things that we need. Okay? Did we get back there in the corner? Oh. I don't want to leave anybody out. We should let them go first because the last shall be first the first right no so as you hold the elements in your hand let's pray for first let's pray for healings Lord as we hold this cracker this representation of your broken body this bread in our hands we 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 come to the foot of the cross realizing God as we look up that every prophetic promise made about you was kept and your promises to us will be equally equally kept. So God, we pray for, for your broken body, God, to be made whole in us. I pray, Lord, for people in this room who need physical healing, for people in this room, Lord, who need to have maybe in some cases their thinking healed. Lord, your broken body, we pray that it would be apprehended now by your kids as we receive in Jesus' name. Go ahead and partake for your friend.